Welcome to day two of Life Hurts seminar. Uh, my name is Nick, and um, got the privilege of um, helping to host this this week, um, along with my wife Mel, who's here. Um, we are going to have a great speaker today, um, a lady called um, Katie Lingard. Okay, so for those of you who weren't here yesterday, the the the, the idea of this stream is to to cover some 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 tough questions about life's hurts um, in the context of God's goodness as well, just to, to explore those and allow God to speak to our hearts and help us to kind of get the balance between, yep, life hurts and there's some real challenges, but equally we serve a loving God who is faithful, who is kind, who is generous and who is with us through all circumstances. Um, one of the things that we're going to be doing throughout the rest of the week is before each person gets up to speak, we're going to show a short video which has been put together by some young people in South London. And they are basically answering some questions around the issue that's going to be covered during the talk. So the interview we're going to show today um, is by, on, the, on the issue of bullying and mistreatment, which is what Katie is going to be speaking about. But what I just want to say is Katie, is, um, she's married to Scott and has two children, aged two and four. So I'm assuming you're quite busy on site. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She um, moved to Lancaster from London. I'm not sure why she did that. <laughs> to plant a church with her husband. So that's why she did it. And she did that in 2007. Um, she studied for a degree um, at Bible College and then taught religion and philosophy in high school before taking on one of the most important jobs in the world before becoming a mother. Last year at New Day, she created something that has been called Tangerine Cricket, <laughs> which involves tangerines and obviously kitchen implements. Just so you know, her church, they're on Green 7. This year, she'll be playing banana rugby. And everyone is welcome. Okay, Green 7, banana rugby. So make your way there at some point. Okay, so before Katie comes up, actually starts speaking, we're going to run a short video. So just watch this. There's no popcorn, unfortunately, but it'd be great if you just engage, and then Katie will pick up straight afterwards. Brilliant. When I moved to my new school in year four, um, I got like there was a sort of mini war, and I, there was lots of people who got picked on by certain gangs, and I was one of those people who kept on getting picked on. When I was about in year five or year six, I started wearing glasses and I used to get called four eyes and blind. And then I overcame it because I knew what people were saying about me wasn't true. Even though I needed help seeing, I wasn't 100% blind and I could still see and I had feelings, but they didn't understand that. And then I realised that I didn't need to worry about what other people said because it's my life and I should do what I want to do for me, not for anybody else. I was playing, then I saw my friend get bullied, and I, and I was very, very, very upset and angry. I've never really been bullied in my life. It's never been an issue to me, but I've seen people get bullied, and I don't really like to see it, because I think of myself in that situation. So I, I think bullying should just be stopped. It shouldn't be a thing that happens. First, I went to my teachers as it happened in school. And when I went home, I told my mum, and she went back to the school, and she reported it, and the issue was sorted. My parents, mainly, they were 
really helpful, nice and supportive. And some of my friends who I could actually trust. The advice I would give to someone else who's experiencing bullying is to go to an adult straight away. They'll be able to help you with the issue and hopefully resolve it. Don't hide it away because generally if you hide it away, it's not going to get any better to tell somebody. Bullying is wrong and you shouldn't judge someone else because of who they are because everyone is beautiful in their own way. Good morning, everybody. Morning, Ben. Really nice to see lots of friendly faces. Thanks for coming to support me. Um, you picked me over Andrew Wilson. Just saying. <laughs> Thanks. Um, okay, so as you've gathered, today's talk is on bullying and mistreatment. And it really is going to cover a wide spectrum. So anywhere from low-level bullying that you might experience in school or day-to-day life to quite serious abuse. So... Whatever's going on in your life, nothing is discounted. I'm, I'm hoping to cover a wide range of bases. Um, I'd really just encourage you right at the start to open your heart to the Holy Spirit. And um, let me just pray for us then. Lord Jesus, we know that you are about fixing broken things and as we explore this topic of bullying and mistreatment and abuse, I pray and ask that your Holy Spirit would minister to our hearts, open our hearts, and bring comfort and peace for situations which are very difficult. Amen. Okay, so if it's okay, I'm going to dive straight in to the narrative which we're going to be focusing on today, which is in Genesis 16, and it's the story of um, Hagar and Sarai. So if you've got a Bible, please refer. Or you don't have to because it's up on the screen, so don't worry. Um, this one is NIV, which is where I'm going to read from. So Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go and sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to be his husband. That doesn't make sense. And gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You were responsible for the wrong that I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. So Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. Okay, I'm going to pause it just there. And just briefly, sorry, my mouth's really dry. I'm a bit nervous. I'm just going to recap basically what's happened in that story. So Abraham and Sarai. Abram, by the way, he's not got his name upgrade yet to Abraham. That happens later on in Genesis. Likewise, Sarai does become Sarah later on. But at the moment, they're Abram and Sarai. 
And then right at the beginning of God's amazing promise, um, as Nick told us yesterday, the amazing promise that God was going to make Abraham um, the father of a, of a huge nation, which we now know is Israel, now the church. And they're right at the beginning of that promise, and Sarai is getting on a bit, and she hasn't had children. So although Sarah doesn't yet realize that God said to Abraham, you're going to have a son, she's still thinking, I want to make something of myself, and I want children. And she hasn't got one. So she goes to Hagar, her slave girl. It's a bit weird, isn't it, really? And says, tell you what, you, you go and sleep with my husband. And if you get pregnant, presumably then Sarai will raise that child as hers. For that child to then become an heir and inherit possessions and, and everything, really, to build, build a family. Um, and then what happens is Sarai, um, Hagar, realizes that she's pregnant and and it says that she begins to have contempt for her mistress and that means that she begins to get well commentators think it means she gets a bit above her station she thinks oh well I've got pregnant and you haven't so I was the slave girl but now I'm the one bearing the child so well look at me aren't I great and that really agitates Sarai the mistress so Sarah thinks, well, are you going to be put back in your place then? And she mistreats her. She bullies her and mistreats her. In fact, Hagar suffered almost every form of abuse known to us. So this is actually a fantastic story to, to base this, this talk in. So firstly, she suffered racial abuse because she was an Egyptian slave. She lived in the household of Abraham and Sarai, and she knew her position. She was a slave, she was Egyptian, she wasn't, she wasn't like her, her mistress and her, her master. She would have gone around her duties and her day-to-day life knowing that there was a cap on what she could achieve in her life because of her race. Because she was taken from Egypt as a slave and she'd have always known, this is who I am. I am an Egyptian slave and I work in this house and that's all I'm ever going to be. And that's racial abuse, isn't it? We know that today is racial abuse. Just choosing to have people in your life lesser than you because of their their race. She was emotionally and psychologically abused. So initially she's forced to marry a man, not of her choosing, who was considerably older. She says she's told she has to do that. She has to obey her mistress. Her emotional attachment is challenged. She's not allowed to fall in love with a man of her dreams. She's told one day, you are going to marry my husband, who's like 80, and you are going to be his wife. So that's emotional and psychological abuse, because if she says no, she'll lose her provision, she'll lose her her security, Everything she's ever known, she'll lose if she disobeys her mistress. And that is abuse. If you feel you're in a situation where you feel you can't say no to get out, that's psychological, emotional abuse. Thirdly, obviously, she was sexually exploited. She had to have sex with an old, old man that she did not love. And she probably didn't want to, but she had to, for all the reasons I said before. That's sexual exploitation. It's not on, is it? Fourthly, Hagar would have suffered physical abuse. In fact, the fact that she ran away from Sarai in the end 
it's highly likely that's because she was suffering physical abuse as well. So when she was, did I read that bit? Yeah, when she when she ran away, and then Sarah, no, sorry, when um, when Sarah started to mistreat her, it's likely she would have been beaten um, for not performing duties well enough despite being pregnant. Okay, so it's quite. It's quite a thorough story, really, regarding the levels of abuse that happened. And, of course, included within that would have been sort of low-level bullying. Okay? As, you know. So, you might ask, why? Why is such a story like that in the Bible? Certainly when I read that for the first time a long time ago, I thought, oh, my goodness. Ooh. What? That's horrible. Why has that happened? And why is that in the Bible? And believe me, it is in the Bible for a reason, okay? The Bible is full of stories such as this, which tell of the real gritty, horrible parts of people's lives. And they're there for a reason, because God doesn't shy away from telling us in his word about the reality of human existence. He doesn't shy away from it because he knows it all. Just like um, we've been hearing quite a lot already at New Day, how God wants to take something that is so broken and make it new. And scripture, the whole sweep of scripture is about God taking a broken people, broken Abraham who responds in faith to God, yes, I will be obedient to you, and his journey right to the present day church today. And that is a story of brokenness to redemption, redemption through Jesus. So of course we should expect to find in the Bible horrific stories like this of real stuff real people suffering and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily there's not always solutions there's not always reasons as to why these people are suffering the way they are sometimes the bible is just descriptive it just tells you this is what happened this is a story and then throughout the rest of scripture you see how it pieces together to be about redemption and god's purposes so you guys have obviously been alive long enough yourself now to realize that this is true for everyone life hurts real bad stuff happens have you ever felt kind of at a base level just treated in a way that's really really unfair have you ever had that sense of I feel misrepresented and that is not fair and now I'm being judged have you felt powerless or bullied have you felt controlled Jesus says in this life you will have trouble but take heart, because I have overcome the world. Okay, so right on the offset, we should expect to experience trouble because we still belong in this broken world. And Jesus says we will experience trouble, but take heart. And I'm going to talk about more about what it means that Jesus has overcome the world in a, in a bit. But for now, the next question when I was preparing that sort of came to my mind was, well, why then is this happening to me? Funnily enough, this seminar is called Why Is This Happening To Me? So I just want to do a brief outline now on, really theologically, why do we experience the real hard stuff? Why doesn't God just take it away? Why doesn't God just save us from it? Because if we love God and we follow him, surely shouldn't he just protect us and, and, and wrap us up and, and keep us safe from that? And I want to tell you really why that's not happening. And essentially, Scripture says that 
Our battle in this life is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That does not mean that when you face bullying or abuse, that the devil is abusing you or demons are abusing you. Actually, what that means is the devil has has been given by God authority on this earth to rule and reign his way. And that means, I'll just a few things about what that actually does look like, is the devil would have us believe that our security, for example, is gained through performance and accomplishments. The devil wants us to believe that. That's a worldly view. The devil has reign over the world, and he wants us to believe that to be significant, we need to perform and accomplish things. He wants us to believe that for us to be secure as people, we find that through status and recognition, worldly things. He wants us to believe that if we're to be accepted and to truly know acceptance deep, deep down, that we can get that through appearance and admiration. So if I look good, I look the part and I feel good and people like me, then I'll feel accepted. So now let's just take a bit of a turn. So if someone is going about their their life trying to be significant by performing well and accomplishing loads of stuff, it's likely they're going to crush people in their path to do that. If people are seeking status and recognition, it's likely they're going to trample on other people in their path to be the best. Likewise, if they're trying to be accepted by appearance and admiration, they're going to say other people around them are ugly and fat or skinny. Because that makes them feel better. So this is just a side point, okay? Actually, all of us have the ability to abuse. Because even Christians, even if you know Jesus in your heart today, sometimes we can still fall back into these worldly ways of thinking. So abusers are broken people. People who don't abuse are still broken people. We've all got the potential to hurt others, and we've all got the potential to be hurt. So we need to, we need to focus on not what the world says about who we are, but who God says we are to risk hurting others and so that we don't get hurt by others quite so badly. And obviously all this is the result of sin, okay? So sin, as we talked about yesterday, is a relational dysfunction. Sin breaks the relationship between us and God. It breaks the relationship between us and ourselves, who we think we are, who we view ourselves as, and it breaks the relationship between us and other people. But when Jesus died on the cross, he disarmed those powers and authorities. He disarmed the devil and his, his ultimate authority here. It's now limited. Colossians says, he disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So, so we're still talking about why is this happening to me? Why does evil happen? And we're saying it's because the devil has limited authority in this world to govern and reign. And if we choose to follow what he's telling us is true, 
we will experience hurtful things and we will hurt others. But Jesus has disarmed those powers so that if we belong to Jesus, we no longer belong to this world. We're not governed by those rules. We belong to him. Now, where's the other verse? Okay, so Jesus says as well, in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So once we were in the world, we experienced trouble and we have no way out, do we? What did we do before we met Jesus? Can you think? Can you think what you were like before you met Jesus and how you, how you cope with troubles? Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you've got troubles in your life which are weighing you down. They're causing levels of anxiety and pain in your life which you don't know how to cope with. Maybe you're a Christian and you still experience that. Jesus says, I've overcome the world. So when we are in him, we can overcome our troubles and we have his peace because he defeated on the cross what the devil wants our world to be. So where is God in all this? We can ask, why do things like this happen? Does God love me? And we can feel God has abandoned us, that God is not there, or God is silent. I don't actually think God is ever silent. I think that's a misconception. When we hear these people saying, I'm going through this time, and God is just silent. God is not silent. God has revealed so much to us in his word about how he loves us and how he's present. And if you feel that God is silent, you must go back to these truths because he's not silent. He is there and willing to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. The word of God is the word of God, the Bible. And there's this thing called the rhema word of God, which is the spirit of the spirit of God, which makes the word alive for us today. So God is not silent when you are struggling. He is there. So I thought about all these um, amazing examples of people that I could tell you about to encourage you in your faith when you're battling. Cory Ten Boom, you know, all, the, all these amazing men and women of faith who've gone through imprisonment and tortures and beatings and abuse for their faith and how they've held tight to the word of God and, and known God's joy. And I thought I could talk about that, but when you're in your darkest hour, they're not going to be the people that will speak to you to comfort you. But obviously Jesus is. Jesus is going to be the one who speaks to you and comforts you, us, when we are suffering. And Nick touched on it yesterday, didn't he? Those of you here yesterday said, he just drew that point out again, that Jesus suffered. And actually he suffered in the most incredible way. He not only was... A, was um, chased most of his adult life and people tried to stone him people chased him people didn't like what he said um not not only was he beaten and crucified on a cross but he suffered in a way which is extraordinary for an extraordinary reason he experienced the pain of separation from his father in heaven so when he was in the garden of gethsemane he was he was so anxious he was sweating drops of blood and he felt like he couldn't get through to his father. He's saying, Father, Father, can you take this from me? Can I please not do this? And the father didn't say, yeah, okay, don't go through with it, don't do it. He didn't hear that. So he had to carry on, and he got arrested, and he got crucified. And then when he was on the cross, he called out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And we know that that means that Jesus faced a separation from his father in heaven. And that 
was the most painful thing I think Jesus had experienced. In his darkest hours of being abused and crucified, he didn't have that loving, loving comfort and close sense of his father with him. His father withdrew from him to allow the weight of sin and death to be placed upon him. And he did that so that those who then call on his name for salvation will never have to experience being alone. He did that for us. He tasted loneliness and isolation from God so that we never have to experience isolation and loneliness. It's actually theologically impossible for us to be separated from God. So believe it, you are never on your own. No matter what you experience in this life, you must believe if your life is in Christ, you are never alone. God is not silent and you're not alone. If you don't know Jesus today and you are battling, invite Jesus into your life. Invite him to come and give you comfort and joy and peace. Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor present or future, any powers, height, depth, not anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. So you don't have to be a, a good Christian. You don't have to be doing everything right. Even if you're doing it all wrong and you're a Christian, God is still with you. Right, we're going to go on and look at the next bit of Hagar's story now. Okay, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. The spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? That's not a Cotton Eye Joe song. She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant. You shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over and against his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Beer Lahay Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore, bore Ishmael to him. And the first thing I want to bring out from that narrative is God listened to Hagar. Hagar was like Abraham, who we heard about yesterday. Abraham used to worship, Abraham's father would have worshipped the sun and the moon. He didn't have a relationship with God. But God came to him and said, Abraham, Abraham, listen to me. 
And it's like this with Sarah, with, with Hagar. She ran away into the desert, this broken, pregnant, abused young girl, presumably woman, and God met her. God just, God just went to her. The, the, the Bible doesn't say they had a relationship to start off with. And he sent, he sent his angel to be his messenger to say, how you doing? How's your life going? What's up with you? Why are you alone and crying by a, by a spring of water in the desert with no protection and nothing to shelter you and nothing to eat? Are you okay? And God does that to us, whether you know him or not. If you don't know Jesus, God pursues us. He's pursuing you right now. He's pursuing you at New Day. Now, if you do know Jesus, he's still pursuing us. He pursues us with his love. We don't have to earn it. He comes after us. And he wants to listen to us firstly, because God knows that we don't just need a book. We don't just need a book with what to do about how to be a Christian. We need the Holy Spirit. We need a person to come and listen to us and be our counsellor. And the Spirit is a mighty counsellor. God's Spirit comes and draws alongside us to listen to us. And he listened to Hagar in the desert. The best decision I ever made when I was a young, young teenager, when I decided... Oh, I need to follow God with my whole heart or not at all. And I decided to follow God with my whole heart. And um, I decided, right, well, I'm going to do it then. And I believe all this stuff I've been told, that God listens to me and he's there for me. And so I get home from school and I'd just be in my room. Family probably weren't back from work and school yet. And I just talked to God. I just, I just talked to God like he was my best mate, like he was my best, like, like Zoe in year nine. She was my best mate. Yabba, 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 all through lessons. And I just talked to God like that, telling what was on my mind, what was on my heart, what I didn't like, what I was upset about, what I loved, what I was thankful for, what I was excited about, what I was worried about. And I really nurtured my relationship with God through, through that sort of, thing and I really felt God speak back to me sometimes I wouldn't talk I'd sometimes open the Bible and read and I'd feel God's spirit draw alongside me and teach me about how he wanted me to live my life and later on I continued this habit even when I was facing something really really difficult and um, the guy I loved still love um we were hoping to get married and I was really really fearful and anxious that if I married this guy he would lead us as a as a family, he'd lead us to a group of churches which would um, dominate women, not let them have opportunities to lead, and just treat them as second rate. And I was, re- was genuinely really fearful and anxious about that. And we'd we dialogued well and argued badly for many years, most of our relationship, about where we were going to be and and serve together. And it was really, really difficult. And one night I thought, I just can't bear this because I really love him, but I don't love his doctrine. So I I put on my worship CD and I thought, right, I'm just going to pour this all out to God. Because before, I'd been pouring over theology books, trying to trying to work out, I'm right and you're wrong. And you need to come around to my way of thinking. And I decided, no, actually, I need to really seek God with my heart on this. And I, I put my CD on, I worshipped God and I praised him. And I drew close to him. And as a little nugget of wisdom from Mel Ferguson's Facebook wall of wisdom, it says, worship gets you through the hardest times in your life because it shifts your focus from the problem to the problem focus, the problem solver. So I did that, I worshipped. And the very next morning at church, the next morning I went to church on Sunday and the, the guest preacher 
finish his preach, and he said, I've got some words of knowledge for some people. You, lady in the pink jumper at the back, I have a word of knowledge for you. I was like, oh, this is amazing. And he began to tell me all about my life. He said, there's this situation over you. It's really complicated and complex, but God knows... God knows all about it, and he sees your heart, and he sees that there's different paths and different directions, and he says there is one right way in God. And he said, I will not lead you to disappoint you. And I was just overwhelmed. I had my own messenger, just like Hagar had in the desert. I had my own messenger. He came to me, and his Holy Spirit gave me that amazing word of encouragement. But again, that wasn't dependent on me worshipping the night before. You don't have to do that for God to speak to you. Scripture does say, draw near to God and he draws near to us. It's a good idea to worship God and pray and seek him. But it's not a prerequisite always. Okay, and even in this story, as a, as a real testament to how God does hear us, is the boy that, she, that Hagar bore was called Ishmael, which means God hears me. Okay, Hagar called God, you are a God of seeing, for truly I have seen him who looks after me. So God always sees us. And it's not just God looks on in at the world, says, oh yeah, now they all are, they're going about their business, great. Right, sit back, watch. He actually looks in, well, not looking in, is he? He's here all around us, but he, he sees us. And it's like the type of seeing from the Avatar movie. Have you seen Avatar? <laughs> Hands? You've seen Avatar? All right, good, right, so you're going to get this. So you know like when the Avatar meets the human, is his name Jake, and Jake's bumbling around on the earth, and he's like, oh, yeah, cool, look at that, look at that, yeah, I get it, let me have a go, I want to I do it on this amazing Avatar planet. And she's like, no, no, Jake, Jake, you have to see with your eyes, you have to see. And then later on, they fall in love, don't they? Which is, oh, I love it. I love that movie so much. Um, they fall in love and, um, he, he's dead and then he kind of comes back to consciousness because she saves him with the oxygen mask and he puts his hand on her face and she's this big blue avatar looking down at him and he, and he goes, I see you. And she goes, I see you. <laughs> and it's, it's like that deep sense of intimate knowing. I see you. And that's how God sees us. He doesn't just see what we look like and who we are on the surface. He really, really sees us. He sees all of us. He knows how complex we are. He knows how, how all the experiences of your, of your life have shaped you to be who you are. All of us in this room, in the whole of New Day, how many people are there on the earth? He knows all the things that shape us. He knows why we laugh at some things and not others. He knows what we like and don't like. Yeah, he knows us. He sees us so intimately. And so, of course, he's with us, he listens, he sees us, and he wants to comfort us. Hagar was shown such gentleness and such kindness that she knew that the, the person, the, the messenger, the angel, must have been God. It was such a radical way of being met. And you'll never get this from a counsellor or your, a good youth leader or a good pastor. Only God sees us this way and comforts us this way. Because when God is with us, it's the difference between being downcast, suicidal, 
to forgiving those that persecute you and praying for your enemies. And God does give us instructions. I'm pretty convinced if you bring your situation before God, he'll have something for you to do. And I guarantee you, he wants you to forgive. The person that's hurting you or has hurt you, we are told by Jesus, forgive them. Because he has forgiven us. We've got the ability to hurt others. Some of us in here have really hurt other people in our lives. But he has forgiven you. And he forgives that person who's hurt you, so we have to forgive them as well. Because we are restored to God through Christ, we can be restored to others. Because we are restored to Christ, we can be restored to ourselves. We can forgive ourselves for when we hurt other people. And then finally, God is definitely molding us and shaping us through these, through these experiences. Okay, Romans says, in all things, God, work, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the likeness of his son. So it's not just that statement, oh yeah, God's working all things t- together for the, good of those you, you know, for the good of you, if you love God. Yeah, but that's hard, because he's conforming you into the likeness of his son. Therefore, he's transforming us from broken to, to amazing but that is hard work and challenging. And our character is massively shaped when we step out and forgive people that abuse us and we pray for those that abuse us. We are shaped. Suffering changes you. If anyone here has ever suffered really, really, you know you're not quite the same afterwards. Don't be afraid of that. That's God shaping you and developing you as a person, giving, sharing more of his heart. There's a whole plethora of reasons as to how God might be shaping you and moulding you through the scenarios. But essentially, to bring it back, that is what the Bible is all about. From broken to restored. Our lives from broken to restored in Jesus.